Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Church, um, just real quick before he starts, uh, many, many of you are maybe newer um, in the last year, and you don't realize that this man has uh, led our church faithfully for over I mean, you've been involved in leadership for about 40 years uh, prior to this year. And so I just want to take a moment uh, to really just give honor where honor is due, that, that anything good and anything that's gone well in this crazy year, um, I think we are, we are reaping fruit in large part that was sown in a previous season, right? And so um, I just, I, I'm so excited that you get to preach today. The message is awesome. Heard it first service, but just want to make sure everyone in the building here is aware that uh, this isn't just some guy we brought in to preach. This is, in a lot of ways, this is a lot of our a spiritual father that we've looked up to for years and has led this place so well. And so would you guys just give him a great welcome to be with us this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I, I can't take credit, but thank you for acknowledging a long time I've been here. No, um, you know, when I chose Austin to be my replacement as the lead pastor here at Good Shepherd, I um, spent a lot of time fully vetting him theologically, because if you know me at all, good sound theology is really important in church leadership. And so... Um, we had great discussions about predestination and free will and salvation by grace, not works, and the divinity of Christ and God's word being, you know, it's infallible. It's 100% from God. I explored his position. You know, Austin, are you a premillennialist, a postmillennialist, an amillennialist? We debated pre-tribulation and post-tribulation and mid-tribulation rapture. And I'm so pleased with where you are at theologically. But I have to, I have to be honest, I was a little bothered last Sunday. Um, I had no idea that you were such an unabashed pre-decorationalist. <laughs> I, I, I had like nowhere to put that, okay? I mean, and I'm not accusing you of anything you didn't say out of your own mouth. I mean, he decorates for Christmas sometimes two weeks before Thanksgiving. It is nothing sacred. I mean, I am almost positive that all of the apostles waited till after Thanksgiving to decorate their trees, Austin. I don't see anything in Paul's writing that advocates being a pre-decorationalist. Okay, I don't see anything in Paul's writing that talks about any of that, but that's where you rely on history. And throughout church history, we have waited until after Thanksgiving to decorate. It was good enough for the Apostle Paul. It needs to be good enough for all of us. Churches have split. Denominations have started over lesser things than this. If you're new today and you're going, who the heck is this guy and what is he doing? I'm just having a little fun. The closer I get to full retirement, the freer I am to do these crazy kinds of things. So... Um, I'm just messing with you. I said this first, and I want to say this again. You are doing a great job. You are. You're a great leader. Um, I, have, I have said numerous times to many people, and especially to my wife, I am so glad that I am not leading through this COVID stuff. <laughs> 
That sounds selfish, but I'd have just been so lost. You and John both are doing a great job. Um, You are incredibly motivational, inspirational, and you are sound theologically. And so I'm very pleased. I couldn't be prouder of you. And I really want to say this. There's nothing but good in the future of our church. Um, I I just so see, as I've watched this year, the rightness in this transition and the rightness of the decision. It was the right move for Good Shepherd going forward. And so the future around here looks very bright. Amen? It does. And so I'm thankful for that today. Well, I get the great privilege today of sharing the second message in our Advent series, which is entitled, Behold. I think most of you know, Advent means the coming, all right? It's the time when we prepare for the celebration of Christmas. But this year, I'm just so excited with the theme, and I didn't have anything to do with coming up with it. I was just asked to, to share one of these messages. But we are remembering and celebrating something so much bigger than just what happened that first Christmas. Let me just read for you the the theme verses, and we'll talk about them. We'll go back to them a couple times during this message. But the theme verses are out of the book of the Revelation, first chapter, verses 7 and 8. It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, if you're wondering or thinking at all now, I I don't really, I don't see Christmas in those verses. I don't see Advent mentioned there. As a follower of of Jesus, it's important for us to uh, remember this. As great as it is, as wonderful as it is, as important as it is to celebrate the birth of our Savior, and it is so important, we celebrate his first coming Absolutely, and all that he did for us in that first coming, redeeming us, reconciling us, saving us, all of the stuff that he did. But we also never lose sight of the fact that he came a first time, but he is indeed coming again. Amen? He came, he's coming, get this, he's coming to finish what he started. And nothing is going to stop him from accomplishing that. You see, as a a follower of Christ, you understand that true Advent has a first and a second act that are inseparable, that so go together. But you need act one and act two to complete the story. Again, never ever do we want to minimize the importance of, of what happened at Christ's first coming. But we should always remember that his first coming is a part of a, a bigger picture, that you really can't fully remember and celebrate what happened that first Christmas unless you also remember and celebrate what happened that first Good Friday and that first Resurrection Sunday, amen? And then, as as our theme verses remind us, we not only celebrate his coming the first time to fulfill his mission and with a mission to fulfill, he will come again once and for all, forevermore, to finally fully fulfill the perfect plan and purposes of God for this place, planet Earth, and for us. As his, as his people. Several times this past year, either Austin or I, on the occasion that I've preached, have, have mentioned what we've called the, the four-part gospel. 
the good news full version, full script, as it were, okay? And one of the reasons why I'm so glad this, this came up is there's been an emphasis within much of the church for I don't know how long, but way too many years on a two-part gospel that misses something, misses something really important. The, the two-part gospel that has been the focus of much of the church for way too long has been this. Part one, we are flawed, sinful people. Part two, Jesus came to save us and make us right with God. How many of you are thankful for that? Man, you ought to be. It's such great news. Is it true? Yes, it's 100% true. But here's the deal. It's not the whole truth. It's 100% true, but it's not 100% of the truth. You see, God had something bigger in mind than just sending Jesus that first Christmas and just what happened that first Good Friday and that first Resurrection Sunday. The four-part four gospel goes like this. God created the world and declared it good. But then God made man and declared him, us, very good. You see, creation bought, brought God great pleasure. The four-part gospel, though, starts in Genesis 1, where the two-part gospel starts in Genesis 3 at the fall. But it, that two-parter misses something so very important. God created the world, declared it good, created mankind, declared us very good. But then, yes, the, the created world was broken. When sin entered the picture, when the fall of man occurred, the world is broken. And, and so are we as people. And yes, indeed, Jesus came to save us from that brokenness, from our sinfulness, to make us right with God. But here's what so often gets overlooked. He didn't come just to save you by grace through faith. He also has enlisted you and enlisted me as, call it what you want, soldiers in his army, members of his body, part of his bride, workers to advance his kingdom, citizens in the kingdom. The descriptive phrases go on and on and on. The point is, we are God's workmanship. You are a masterpiece. You have been created not just to come to faith in Jesus so that you'll be saved and spend forever with him in heaven. You're here for a purpose. You're here for a reason today. And you see, I think one of the reasons why so many Christians are bored is because they think, okay, I was flawed, I was broken, I'm a sinner, I'm saved. Now what? And it totally misses the point of now what is you've been made for a purpose. There's a work for you to do. And the work that we are called to do is not just the job we have. It's to be intentional about finding out how we've been skilled and gifted and crafted and made so that we can do that thing that God has for us to do that is a part of the advancement of his kingdom until he comes again. You see, part four is God is actively working both through his Holy Spirit and through his church, through his people, through you and me to advance his kingdom to the point in this world where this world and people are prepared for Jesus coming again. And church, as certain as he came the first time, he is coming a second time. He's going to finish what he started. He is going to fulfill the perfect plan and will of God in all of its entirety. He's coming back to bring a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to make all things new. We will spend eternity with God. You see, the four-part gospel realizes that God's ultimate intention is to take us back to the garden plan. 
Not just forgive sin and you're saved and going to heaven, but to reestablish the perfect will of God from the beginning. Okay, enough of that little theological discourse. I want to take us back to those theme verses for a minute to do two things, hopefully. To expand our understanding of what Scripture says about this one who has come and is come and, and will come again, but also to give you some here and now practical help and application for life today in the USA. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. See, I love that word, behold, because what it means is don't just take a casual glance at something. Behold, is a, it's a pause and, and look deeply into something kind of word. It's intentional. It's talking about you need to have focused consideration of this thing. It's, it's that big. It's, it's that important. It also communicates this idea that, that you look at something, and then as you go on with your day and your time, you always kind of got your eye out of the corner of your eye. You're always kind of remembering that thing and, and looking at that thing. And that is so imperative, so important for us in this day in which we live to always keep our eye on what's coming. Better said on who's coming, okay? So, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What a double-barreled declaration, isn't it? Starts with I am. That's God's title. And in, in Jesus saying those words, again, he is making the claim to which there could be no wonder. No wonder what he meant by that kind of thinking. I am is a statement that I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus is saying. There was, there was no confusion to the people to which he spoke those words. I mean, that's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they wanted to crucify him. They thought it was blasphemy. But Jesus, by saying I am, is declaring that he is indeed God, God the Son. The Alpha and the Omega. I'm the one who's been around from start to finish, beginning to the end. It's a statement about his eternal presence and his eternal purpose. He's been a part of the big plan from the beginning. When you go back to Genesis 1, you realize that the Godhead, the Trinity, was involved in creation. Jesus was there, involved in it, and he's the one still holding it all together. He, in chapter 3 of Genesis, was, was prophesied to be the Redeemer who would come and crush Satan's head to fix the sin problem. And he did the first time come, again, to save, to reconcile, to redeem, to restore us back to God. And he is coming again to finish what he started. Now, John, in his writing here, either, either makes a sequential mistake, not real great grammar, or he's following the Spirit's inspiration. I vote for number two, okay? But technically, it should say, grammatically, who was and is and is to come. I think we've established why is is there first, it establishes Jesus as God, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. And, and John was writing against a prevailing heresy of that day called Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed that God was a spirit and that Jesus either did not come in flesh and blood or if he did come in flesh and blood, he couldn't be God because 
physical beings were evil, spirit was good. So throughout the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Revelation, this message is hit so hard to establish that we're talking about God here, okay? This is God come in the flesh. So my focus today, though, is on the second statement, okay? Not Jesus who is, who absolutely is here now, is with us, is active, is, is involved, but on Jesus who was. Why is that important for us to remember Jesus who was, and how is that helpful today? Austin spoke last week about hope, and uh, I want to continue that theme because I, I think that life, probably today more than ever, is confusing and um, ever-changing and feels out of control. And I think because of that, for so many people, hope is really in short supply. And I understand that. I mean, who'd have thunk a year ago that we'd be at this point in terms of what the COVID crisis has brought? Not just COVID itself, but everything that, that's come with it. Because of it, I, I understand hope is in short supply for a whole lot of people, all right? Now, hope has it's got two different definitions. It's the desire for something good to happen in the future, but it's also coupled with the expectation that this good really is going to happen. So it's a desire and an expectation for good in the future. But in the midst of, of COVID and, you know, COVID, I mean, health issues, mental health issues, isolation issues people are wrestling with, which has brought about economic uncertainty, the job market, businesses, inflation, the government transition, and probably transformation that we're in for uh, in this new year, the civil and social unrest, and on and on and on it goes. How, how do we avoid fear? How do, we, how do we have, how do we find, how do we maintain courage and hope? I had somebody after first service say to me, Pastor Kent, I am just COVID weary. I thought, I've never heard those words before, but that resonates, doesn't it? We're just COVID weary. <sighs> so what do you do? How do you, how do you deal with fear and maintain courage and hope? Well, I've got three things I want to share with you today, okay? Three things that you can do, but I would even say three things you should do. Now, please hear me. This is not a formula. I do not like formulaic preaching. Three things to instantly make your life better. Gag me with a spoon. I just, I just blanch at that. It just makes things too trivial and, and too simple. But what, I'm, what I want to share with you today, I think functions, I, I liken it to a temperature gauge, okay? If, if in my life I'm wrestling with fear or I'm feeling discouraged or my hope is, is down a bit, if I feel those things, they're kind of lagging. These are three things that I can take a look at in my own life to see if I'm doing them and am I practicing them because they really help. And so I want to I want to just make that same challenge to you all. Hear what I have to say and then take a look at your own lives. Are you practicing these kind of things that are intended to deal with fear and give us courage and hope? These are lessons from from the life of King David, okay? Who I think is a, a man of tremendous courage tremendous hope, um, who really knew how to deal with fear in his life. And so here are the three things. The first one is time alone with God. 
Now, I almost am embarrassed to say this because what I have to share today is 100% simple, okay? It's just, it's simple. It's not difficult. But it takes discipline to do these things that I'm talking about. So while it's not difficult, we have to exercise good discipline to do them. Okay, number one, time alone with God. I think one of the benefits that God intends for what's going on in our crazy mixed up world is you and I have more discretionary time than probably we've ever had before. There's not a lot of good TV on, let's be honest. But also a lot of the things we've spent time doing or spent time in, um, our hobbies, our recreational places are closed. And so we, if we're honest, have more time than ever before. I believe God's heart in this, one of the ways to walk in victory over fear and discouragement and hopelessness is to spend more time with the Lord. And all God's people said, duh, not amen, because it's that obvious. But nevertheless, it's the truth. Psalm 78, it says this, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Now, time alone with God is never mentioned in that little passage of scripture. But when it talks about taking David from the sheepfolds and from following nursing ewes, folks, that's just another word for he's out in the boondocks. He is out in the middle of nowhere while he's tending his father's sheep. He's far away from everything and everybody. This is where God took David to school to teach him those amazing, valuable lessons. This is where his character was developed, out in the middle of nowhere where nobody was watching. This is where his dependence on God grew. This is where his trust in God grew. I believe that, that for all of us, one of God's plans and purposes, one of the goods that can and should come out of this COVID crisis and the weariness that we feel is our characters also will be developed and refined during these times. We will, if God has his way, grow into a deeper dependence on him. We will, we will release control of our lives. How many of you know your life is out of control? See, we've always kind of talked about that and known that, but nothing has brought about a realization of how out of control we are like this past year has. 1 Timothy 1, 1 says, Jesus Christ is our hope. And I don't think God's trying to just rip everything out of our lives, but I do think God is trying to make Jesus the priority that he is supposed to be in terms of where we center our hope. I listened to a podcast earlier this year all about detachment. And the man's point was, God is trying to detach us from all these things we've placed too much hope in, too much stock in, too much reliance upon. Not to obliterate them and take them all away because they're evil, but because they just get out of whack. And God is trying to detach us from stuff so that we attach to him in significant, powerful ways. I, I, I am absolutely positive that when David is out tending those sheep, that he became shepherd-weary as we become COVID-weary. But nevertheless, we need to see the bigger picture, the better thing that God is doing. And time with him will help reveal that. Number two is time with others. Time with others. 
You see, I say that because God has built life to work on two planes. There's a horizontal plane and a vertical plane with God relationally, but with one another as well. There's a horizontal plane of life lived with others that are great helps in terms of hope and courage and battling, dealing with fear. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, there's that word again, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, the day talked about there is the day when Jesus comes. This doesn't put a predictive calendar on it to say when it is. But church, it's closer today than it was yesterday, is it not? And, and things are lining up for at some point in the future for Christ to come again. But the way the writer of Hebrews says that you maintain and increase hope is to be encouraged by other believers, not to disconnect and isolate, but to, to, to encourage other, others, each other, not just in what we believe, but also stimulating one another to love and good deeds, to help each other explore what is it that God has gifted you with? What are the gifts that God wants you to use? How are you that unique masterpiece to advance his kingdom through your life and, and what you have to give, how you're to participate? See, that, that scripture is all about part three of the four-part gospel. You have a reason for being here. There's a plan and purpose for your life. We need to help each other explore what that is if we don't know, or if we do know, to encourage each other in those things. Time together with other believers also can't be spent as a time to gather to gripe. The church gets together and just complains about the government and the programs and the practices and the this and the that. And even if it's all true, it's not redemptive, okay? And I convict myself saying those words. Now, I don't think it's necessarily bad to, to spend a little time talking about what's going on. We don't want to stick our head in the sand. But we can't get stuck on all that's wrong and all that's bad and all the dishonesty and all the fear and all the misinformation, blah, 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 blah. You can talk about that, mention it, but you've got to get back to the place where we're together to encourage each other, give each other hope, fuel hope. COVID makes creativity very necessary in being connected. We can't do what we've always done. We've got people who can't come to church just because of the nature of what's going on. Let's be creative, okay? Let's take advantage of the internet and all the great things that are going on out of this place to help us be connected. There's this thing called a phone that you can talk on also. I, I know a lot of you know about texting on. You can actually talk to somebody on them as well. Amazing. Use, use the resources we have to connect, okay? And, and I want to say this. Reach out in both directions. I don't want you to go, check, I am connected. I've got a group of six friends or six couples, and we do everything you're talking about here. Work it both directions. Don't just make sure your own needs are being met. Keep your eyes open. Who isn't connected? Who is isolated? And how can you not become their best friend and own their life, but what little thing could you do? to help somebody who's in that spot, okay? I think it's vital that we do that. And then point number three, which is kind of the big tie to the who was piece of our theme scripture. We need to make sure that we remember who God has been. That second last song we sang, I just thought, you know, we're singing of the goodness of God, that he's faithful, that he's good. 
You can sing about it, but you can also speak of it. It doesn't just have to be in song. But I want to talk just real quickly as I finish this up about David's most famous story. David and... Oh, good. I thought somebody was going to say Bathsheba. That is not his most famous story. That is his most infamous story, okay? We're not going there today. So glad you got it right. David and Goliath. Goliath is a big, bad giant of an enemy, is he not? COVID is a big, bad giant of an enemy, is it not? It absolutely is, okay? And for many people, that's about as real as it can be. I think there's some parallels we can find between what David did to defeat Goliath and what we can do to walk in hope and courage and not walk in fear when it comes to COVID and all the other little side things that seem to come with that. Let me just give you the highlights from the story, okay? We're going to pick it up at the point where David goes to the, the front lines of the battle with the Philistines because he has got a couple brothers that are fighting and he's bringing some food supplies. All right, this is in 1 Samuel then 17, starting at verse 23. As David talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Goliath was a scary dude, okay? Big, scary dude. COVID is pretty scary to some people as well. And I think part of the picture here is the voice of Goliath brought fear. Much of what's being said about COVID brings fear as well. And I'm not trying to minimize for one moment the seriousness of this. My encouragement is, who are you going to focus on in terms of who you listen to? And where are you going to set your eyes and your vision? The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David asks the question, so what's going to happen to the guy who does this? Because he's a man. He's a bottom line, what's in this for me? But that's not his primary focus. The primary focus in this is the last thing he said there. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Wow, David, where'd that come from? Well, I want to tell you, it didn't come from God's sprinkling magic anointing power or powder over David and giving him courage and hope. This is a part of what was developed in that time out there in the wilderness, that time alone with God. And there's no shortcut to this, church. This is where God makes you the person he wants you to be in that time alone with him. All right. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go out and fight this Philistine. You're but a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth up and on. You see, if all you look at is the circumstance and situation in front of you, the giant that's in front of you, the mess that the world seems to be, you're going to be hopeless. You can be overwhelmed with hopelessness. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a, a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of its mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. 
Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David had hope and courage and faith because he took time to remember what God had done for him in the past. You know, there's a lot of I and me in some of that remembering, but let's be clear, David understood the source because the very next verse he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So David didn't take any time sizing up the size of Goliath and go, well, you know, he's, he's not as big as that lion or oh, he's bigger than the bear. That wasn't his focus at all. His focus was on God and how big God was. And church, I want to tell you something. No matter what or how big COVID or anything else looks like to you, while it is indeed a giant, it's not bigger than God. It's not more powerful than God. God is our answer. He's our source. He's our solution. And so David went, even as Saul had said, and the Lord sure was with him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? In other words, with your little sling. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. You can't listen too much to those powerful, fearful voices of doom and gloom. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, you have to focus, you have to behold, you have to take the time and the discipline, just like David did to remember who's for you, who's with you, and who ultimately wants to lead you into his victory. That's where our focus has to be. And then you go forward and do what God has called you to do. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with spear and sword, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." Church, what you have to see out of this, it's not just the declaration of what God was going to do for David with regards to Goliath. One of the key points in this is all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. I absolutely believe, I don't know if this is prophetic or not, but I believe with all my heart that we stand on the precipice, prep, what's that word? Precipice. That's that word. The That word. <laughs> precipice of a great opportunity. We live in a world that is so filled with fear and discouragement and gloom and doom, and they are ripe for a God, a Savior, who can take them through this crisis, bring them out on the other side, healed, whole, delivered, whatever kind of word you want to use. We stand in a spot where the world is looking for an answer, and Jesus is the answer. What a great opportunity we have. You see, fear can cause paralysis. What we need is to encourage ourselves in the Lord to remember what he's done and to be encouraged by others, to remind each other of what God has done. I want to just wrap with this. I, I want you to know I am not immune to fear, feeling hopeless, 
negativity, discouragement, all of those kind of things. And the world bombards us with that message because for much of the world, this life is all there is. So that's why they're so afraid of what might happen, losing a life. Now, I don't, I don't want to for a minute make it sound like I don't think life is precious. It is, but this is not the end. And the world desperately needs to know. People that are so afraid of death desperately need to know that there is an eternal life that can be theirs, found in Christ. So because I'm not immune to this, I, I try and take my own temperature fairly regularly. Am I spending time with God? I mean, not just going through the motions, but drawing close to him, abiding in him, being still and listening. Am I staying disciplined so that I don't isolate myself? And I'm an introvert, so it's easier to isolate if I'm not careful. I got to stay connected and to take the time to remember all that God has done. You know, Jan and I so often sit down and take time to remember. We, we have a, a, the call to come to Colorado is 100% a miracle. And most every time we face difficulty in ministry, we remember God's calling and it sees us through the difficulties, the hard times. When, when we've had financial needs, we go back and remember when we were first married one Christmas, we had no money, we had nothing for Christmas presents. The next morning, a $100 bill and a pot roast showed up on our porch. That's modern day manna, folks, okay? It's given us such encouragement to know that God is always going to provide. We've had miraculous healings. I personally, I should have been killed a couple times. And I, re I remember, I remind myself that God has spared my life. And there's plan and there's purpose in that. There's been provision through 40 years of history in this church that I, I couldn't begin to tell you about. But that gives me such confidence to know that not only are the Hummels going to make it, but this church has a great future. God has been so faithful in the past, and he will continue to be that way. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God whose provision not might be seen, but shall be seen. And even if it doesn't end the way we would like it, even as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're going into that furnace, and we're not bowing our knee, and even if we don't come out alive, we're not too worried about that, because ultimately we know the end and where we're going to be. That's the attitude that we need, we all need as a church to have. Austin mentioned last week about um, the Hebrew word kava, and it's a word for hope, and it means to wait for something with both patience and in anticipation. And he likened it to a farmer waiting for seed to sprout out of the ground. You hope it's going to, but you anticipate it's going to. I, I promise you, I know this. I've never been a farmer, but one of the reasons why they feel that way is because year after year after year, they've watched that seed they put in the ground grow and sprout and develop into a crop that can be harvested. I've seen it before and I'll see it again. I just know I will. That's the kind of remembering you need to do, I need to do in the midst of the places that we struggle. So we're all in this season together. And yet at the same time, you're in it specifically, and my story's not like yours, and yours probably isn't like others, and a lot of what we go through is very relative to us in terms of suffering or difficulties. But this old saying is as true today as it was the first time I ever thought about it. Life is hard, but God is good. So don't quit, because we win.
That, in a nutshell, is another way to say what we've been talking about in Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Yeah, life is tough, but God is good, and he has a plan, and he is coming again to end this mess once and for all, to finish what he started. And in that church, you could take great hope, have great courage, and fear not. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for um, your word, for what it uh, not only teaches us, but for what it inspires us to do. And I, I just want to pray today, Lord, if there's anyone who either here in this room or who watches this online that um, has a revelation today that they do not have the kind of hope that we're talking about because they've never placed their faith in Jesus. I just pray, even in this moment, that if you're here or if you're listening, that you would just pray this simple prayer. Father, I realize today that, that I am a sinner and I've never placed faith in Jesus as my savior to fix the brokenness in me, the result of sin entering the world and the sin that I've committed. I receive him today as savior and Lord. In his name, amen. But I also want to encourage you, church, you may have been a Christian for a long time. You, you just need to spend a little time dwelling on those other two parts of the gospel, that there is a purpose for your life and you need to commit yourself today. I'm asking you to commit yourself today to personal time with him, personal time with others, a discovery of why you're still here what those talents and gifts are that God wants you to use and to practice the discipline of remembering out of your past what God has done that will see you through what's going on today. Make that something you do not just here in church or this week, but do this in the days ahead because I am convinced that these three things are a great help in battling discouragement and hopelessness and the COVID weariness that so many of us feel. So thank you, Lord, today for the uh, inspiration of your word, the truth and the power of your word to bring us into a place of greater health and greater life in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Uh, have a wonderful week. And Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday. Practice what I've preached today, because I'm gonna. Okay, God bless. <laughs>